Uh, we're continuing our series on impact today. We're talking about the impact of salvation. If you're a guest with us, turn to the back of the bulletin and you can follow along on the outline. If you grew up going to vacation Bible school, you already know about Zacchaeus. And what you know about him is he is a wee little man. But what else do we know about him? You know, I thought about that in the song, and there's so much with vacation Bible school songs that rules everywhere else don't apply to them. Have you thought about that? Um, lived in several states, a lot of churches. We all sang Zacchaeus, a wee little man. We all sang Booster, Booster, be a booster. I thought, who is Booster? And why are we singing to him? You know, have you ever wondered that? I mean, it's kind of part of that VBS song. But we do know Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Mark Twain said, it's not the size of the dog in a fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. Is that true? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I let my wife help me from time to time with my lessons. I'll throw an idea out or I'll try out a joke on her, and she's really good to help me say, no, Randy, don't go there when I need to hear that. Well, I, I had in mind, I had a whole list of short people jokes to start out with today. I did, and they're, they're good, too. And, and I was telling her about that, and, and she looked at me, and she said, you've never been short, have you? If y'all know Sia, she's 5'3", you know. But I had some tall people jokes in there, too, so I was going to beat up on everybody, you know. But here's the deal. Whether you've been short or tall, you've been called skinny or fat, almost every one of us has had some kind of stature issue, some kind of name growing up that maybe even we still live with today. The good news is that Jesus has a different way of sizing up people. And it's not our appearance. It's not how tall we are. And it has a huge impact. Look at our text. Luke 19, beginning of verse 4. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. See, when it came to measuring up, Zacchaeus wasn't just short in nature, wasn't just a wee little man as we call him. If you ask people who knew him in his day, he was also short in integrity. He was short in character. He was short in virtue and loyalty. Remember when we studied Matthew's story a couple of weeks ago, how he also was a tax collector. The tax collectors turned their backs on their own people to work for the enemy. And not just work for the enemy, but to pad their pockets handsomely at the expense of their very neighbor. So they weren't just cheaters, they were traitors. And as Luke tells the story here, Zacchaeus is not just a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. So he's in charge of the whole system. So he's really padding his pockets. He's ruling over all these people. So what that tells us is, while he's a wee little man, he's not short on cash, and he's not short on people who hate him. Perhaps his interest in Jesus, though, is just fleeting curiosity. Maybe he just wanted to know, who is this Jesus? Maybe he'd heard about another tax collector who had abandoned his post to go and follow Jesus. But something compelled him to go out on a limb. Maybe it was a deep thirst within his soul that he was trying to feel. He knew he needed to see Jesus. Look at verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. I want you to notice, like any good preacher, Jesus is all for a free meal. And he's not above inviting himself over. And that's what he does here. True story. See, and I were eating out 
at uh, uh, Legends a couple of weeks ago, like a weeknight, and she had a full day of teaching, so we kind of splurged to go out to eat. So we ate, and much to our just joy, when we got ready to pay our tab, somebody in the restaurant had already paid our tab. Isn't that great? Uh, we thought it was great. Um, well, last weekend, we were celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary, went to River Terrace, had been there only a couple of times. If you've been there, you know, that's a, uh, not a cheap place, great place. Um, would you believe somebody picked up our tab there also? They did. So I didn't have to pay for my own anniversary dinner. <laughs> How about this? I want to go three for three. Next Saturday, Olive Garden, <laughs> about six o'clock. See you there. Maybe won't see you there. No. Here's what I want you to notice in this story. Sagius had to be impressed to take note that Jesus knew his name. He called him by name. That's big. Not the name maybe he had other people call him, but by his true name. Luke says he welcomed him gladly. He was ecstatic for Jesus to come to his house. But I want you to notice that joy was not necessarily shared by everyone. Keep reading in verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Have you noticed that every time in the Gospels when Jesus goes to somebody's house or some event that's a celebration, when there's a party going on, the party poopers are also there? Have you noticed that? Almost every single time, the party poopers are there. Now, usually it's the religious establishment. They were always looking to trip people up, trip Jesus up. But here, it says all people saw this and began to mutter. Listen how Jesus sizes up the situation. Verse 8, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. He doesn't call Jesus rabbi. He doesn't call him Jesus. He calls him Lord. Jesus said to him, verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. We hear that phrase. If you've been in church many years, you, you know, seek and save the lost. Lost. Words have meaning, and, and meanings change. For years and years, we'd use the word lost, and we knew what that meant. It's people who are outside of Christ, people who needed saving. But we don't hear that word used as much. Today, we hear a different word used. I use it, you use it, like unchurched, or seekers, people who are seeking God. Well, here's the irony of it. In the Bible, lost peoples are not called seeker. In fact, when you go and you study Scripture, the true seeker in the Bible is God. Zacchaeus didn't find Jesus. Jesus found Zacchaeus. And Jesus used this opportunity to tell his critics. Jesus came for lost people. All lost people. And when it comes to those who need to be found, everybody's name is on the list. And that's the point. That's the point. All of us fall short. I hope you know that already. I hope that's a reminder to you. All of us fall short. All of us need Jesus. We're all, in the words of the song, we little people. All of us need help. Romans 3.23 is a verse that comes to mind. You were probably already thinking of it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But sometimes we struggle to admit our own faults. That we come up short. We struggle to see our own shortness. 
It's like the man who went to the doctor for a checkup and the nurse asked him how much he weighed. He said, oh, about 160 pounds. He got off the scale and it was 186 pounds. So she asked him how tall he was. He goes, I'm about a 5'11". He said, well, let's measure. And so she measured him and he was about five, six and a half. So then she asked, well, what's your normal blood pressure? She said, he said, how can you expect me to have normal blood pressure when I came in as a tall, slender man? You've already made me short and fat. Here's how we, why we have trouble seeing our own shortness. One way we deny our own shortness is we find a shorter Zacchaeus to compare ourselves to. And there are plenty of these little Zacks in our world. There's a Zach in your school, there's a Zach at work. There's a Zach in your neighborhood. There's a Zach in your family. We think, I may have my faults. I may have my shortcoming, but I'm taller than him. I'm taller than her. I'm no Zach. But realize that Jesus, in fact, nowhere in the Bible does it say we all sin the same amount. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that sins are equal in their temporal consequence. It doesn't say that. It says we all sin. We've all sinned. Let me ask you this, how many sins does it take to separate you from the holiness of God? One. Just one. All all have sinned and are lost in the sense that they can never measure up to the holiness of God. So in a way, we're all Zacks, we're all Zacchaeus, but the good news is that every one of us is findable, every one of us is redeemable. I came across this quote. It is impossible for anyone to send themselves beyond the reach of the grace of God. It is impossible for anyone to send themselves beyond the reach of the grace of God. The point is, salvation makes an impact. Look, Lord, here and now, this Zacchaeus has changed. I want you to notice how he changed. First, there's a new person. The impact is a new person. It's hard to imagine a new future if you still are defined and ruled and controlled by your past. But Jesus helps us find our identity in His gospel instead of some label we've heard all our life or maybe even stuck on ourselves. We get our self-image by looking up instead of looking around. For too long, we've let other people or our own circumstances tell us who we are. Look what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. This is from the English Standard Version. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, notice the words here, He is a new creation. A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The New Living Translation renders that last part. He's become a new person. What I want you to notice here, because sometimes in our thinking, we may be tempted to think, well, I'm still the same person. I'm just washed. Kind of a newer version of the older model. But that's not what it says. It says you are a new creation. So that's a part of the gospel, the forgiveness the washing away, the cleansing, the reformation, the recreation, or the word here Paul used, the new creation. Look at Romans 6, 4. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Not a slightly adjusted life, not just a washed life, or a cleansed life, but a new life. So this is not just power of positive thinking. Or keeping the right focus. This is the power of the living God living in you, washing you, cleaning you, changing you every day more and more to the image of His Son. So we do not remain labeled by who you were, 
We start living by who we are. Note this, I put it on your study guide. The sure evidence of the new you, the sure evidence of the new you is a transformation from being a taker to a giver. I want to make sure we get this from the story. Back in verse 8, he says, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, we read this story and we think, well, this is a story about money. And he had this money, he received it in a very deceitful way, a dishonest way. So it's only right for him to give back the money. And it is a story about money. But the principle is much beyond money. Think about what you know Jesus and the way he taught us how to live upside down in this world. A whole different way, different standard. That we become givers instead of takers. Same principle he taught when he said, turn the other cheek. Or go the second mile. Or pray for your enemies. Or to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But it's also about money. So it's about how you handle your money, but it's really about how you handle your life. It's really about your outlook. Because the way you handle your money depends on your outlook. That's what happened here. The impact of salvation for Zacchaeus was first how he dealt with his money. Look here and now, and he's going to make restitution for all these people. You transform by changing from being a giver, I mean, a taker to a giver. I think about this every day, subconsciously. You make a decision. Am I going to live for myself or am I going to live for someone else to bless? When you walk into school, when you go to work, when you get up and you're dealing with your family first thing in the morning, you see them at the end of the day, are you going to be a giver or a taker? Will I look for a chance to see what I can get or look for someone whom I can bless? Salvation makes an impact. I know we don't like the word change, but salvation is all about change. And it should be about change. He's changing us into the image of his son. One night before Christmas, Clay and Velma Likens from Jefferson County, Kentucky, they stepped out onto the porch to turn off their Christmas lights. Into the night, they were going to go to bed turning off the lights. They noticed a package, huge package, at the end of the driveway wrapped in plastic. They weren't expecting anybody, especially a package. So they went to investigate. They opened up the wrapping and what they discovered there was a chair that had been stolen from their front porch about 18 years earlier. And there was a note attached. Let me read what it said. To whom it may concern. Several years ago, my husband stole this wicker rocking chair from the porch of this house. I'm ashamed of his behavior and am returning the stolen item. I've been divorced from my husband and have since been born again. My life has completely changed and I want to undo any wrongdoing to the best of my ability I know this chair is not in the same condition as when it was stolen, and I apologize. I now live in another state. I live in Tennessee, and I'm rarely in this vicinity. I realize the cowardly fashion in which I'm returning this, but the reason is obvious. I will not bother you again. Please forgive us sincerely. Brian Crawford shared that story, and he said, The family placed the rocker in the bedroom along with the letter for a keepsake to remind them of that truth. Instead of looking out for yourself, and obviously Zacchaeus was very good at that, he now is a blessing to others. The salvation impact was that he changed from being a taker to a giver. 
But I want you to notice, he's not grimacing as he's doing this. Do you read that into the text? This is not a reluctant giver. This is not a a strong arm kind of, okay, if I must. In fact, if you notice the text, Jesus doesn't tell him to do this. He offers this on his own. And I read this that he's smiling as he's saying it. So the impact then is not just a new person. The impact is a new passion. The old Zach lived for what he could get. The new Zach lived for whom he could bless. And so he declares, I'm giving half of my goods away. And if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to pay them back. I'm going to make it right. He becomes a cheerful giver. Do you know why God loves a cheerful giver? You know, the Bible tells us that God loves a cheerful giver. Do you know why? Because a cheerful giver loves God. That's why they're a cheerful giver. They have been so impacted by the gospel. God has blessed them through Jesus so much that they know how much they've fallen short. And they're so happy to in turn return the blessing. And the chief way that we love God is to love other short people. And again, that's all people. It's worthless to speak of your spiritual devotion if it has not affected your heart, your attitude. And of course, in this case, your material decisions. Sometimes short people will say, you know, I'm not short, I'm vertically challenged. You've heard that phrase? But this is about the the vertical challenge making a horizontal impact. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus said. So generosity is not a means to salvation. Generosity is an evidence of salvation. Because I've been saved, then I'm changed. And I want to, in turn, be a blessing to other people. And sometimes that's just in a disposition the way I live. Sometimes it means making some very difficult decisions about what to do. Like there's a man, William P. Barker, tells about a machinist. He worked for Ford Motor Company years ago. He became a Christian. He heard the gospel. Somebody told him about it. He was baptized. And so with that, he had this new way of living. But he had a problem because in his own garage, he had tools and some parts that through the years he had brought home from work. Well, his conscience got to the best of him and he said, I can't keep these anymore. I stole them. So he said, I've got to return them to my company. But he also knew if he took these and confessed, that would be grounds for dismissal. So what do you do? He decided he was living a new life and he couldn't keep them anymore, so he took it all back and he explained his his form. He said, look, somebody's taught me the gospel and I've been baptized and I I can't keep these anymore. Well, the foreman knew that he was wrong to steal, but the foreman also knew it was right to return it and to admit his mistake. So he wasn't sure what to do as far as the employment. So he went to his supervisor and asked for help. His supervisor didn't know. He went to their supervisor and owned up the chain. Nobody knew how to deal with the situation. So they went to the big man, Ford himself, who was actually not at the plane. He was at at another country. So they cabled him, told him the situation. Mr. Ford immediately cabled back this decision. What do you do? You dam up the Detroit River and you baptize the entire city. Salvation makes an impact. By renewing Zacchaeus, notice this. It's also a blessing to others. He didn't keep it to himself. He was turning the whole neighborhood around. 
And that's the last blank. Saved people are not short-sighted. You're not saved just so you can go to heaven. You're saved so that you can bring heaven to the lives of others. So that you can bring a light in a dark world. So that you can share the good news. Saved people do not see themselves as entitled. They see themselves as entrusted. While most people in this world will ask, why can I not have what I want? Saved people are changed. And they ask, why do I have what I have? Saved people want to partner with God in His work of renewal. And they see that they are surrounded by a bunch of Zacchaeus that are short. Just like we were. And they need to see Jesus. So instead of being short-sighted, saved people know God does not want this world full of sickness and suffering and disease and pain. God does not want a world where innocent people are killed in war. God does not want a, a world where little girls are sold off into sex slavery. Where babies are aborted. He doesn't want anyone to be oppressed. Here and now were the words that Zacchaeus used. They give in the present because they believe in the future coming. And the Lord is coming not just for them, but for other people too. So we give. We're no longer a taker. Sometimes though, it's just overwhelming. There's so much darkness. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. We don't have deep pockets. We don't have a lot to give. And so we become frustrated and it's so easy just to sit on our hands and do nothing. When the communist regimes in Eastern Europe collapsed, there was chaos everywhere. Civil war. You might remember especially in Yugoslavia. In Sarajevo, amazing amounts of damage happened there. The civil war there, hundreds of tens of thousands of people were killed. May 28th, 1992. The citizens were living in constant fear. They couldn't even eat. They couldn't even go get food. There was a man by the name of Vedran Smoljevic. He was a cellist in the Sarajevo Opera. Lived right across from one of the still working bakeries. People were waiting in line just to get bread for the day, just to, to feed their families. When a shell landed, exploded, killed them all. He walked out into the carnage. And he thought, what can I do? I'm not a soldier. I don't have a government office. I don't have power. I don't have position. I'm a musician. What can I do? Do you know what he did? For the next 22 days, one for each person who lost their lives right outside his front door, he would dress in his finest, his black tails, and would play outside that bakery. Every day for 22 days. War's still going on. But after that 22 days, he would move to another building that had been bombed out and would get among the rubble and play. He was invited to funerals. He became known as the cellist of Sarajevo. But not everybody thought what he did made sense. In fact, one reporter asked him if he was crazy for playing in the war zone. Smoljevic replied, why do you not ask if they are crazy for bombing Sarajevo? The beauty of his music, but even more, the beauty of his motive was such a peace and a calm. He was never shot. 
He was never injured. He was a bright light in a dark world. Here's my question. When I read his story, I couldn't help but think, and I was challenged because I thought, does the Gospel allow you and me to remain in our own security and comfort when this whole world is at war? Spiritual war. Or are we compelled by the Gospel? Even though we're not a government official, even though we're not in a position of authority, even though we may have shallow pockets to do whatever we've got, to use whatever talent we have to be a light in our dark world, to protest and stand against evil. In Paul's words, to make the most of every opportunity. Or as Jesus said, to let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify God. See, saved people size up everything differently because they've been sized up differently. They're no longer seen as fallen short of the glory of God. They are seen as bought again, as redeemed, as saved people. And because they're saved people, it makes an impact. And not just where they go to church on Sunday or how they worship on Sunday, but how they live every day, how they start their day. We defend the unborn. We feed the hungry. We serve the forgotten. We help those who cannot help themselves. We lift others up so they can see Jesus. It may be a fleeting curiosity because they've heard the crowds talk about Him or it may be a deep hunger in their soul. It's not for us to judge. Our job is just move out of the way and lift up the good news of Jesus. That's the impact of salvation. But you need to admit that you fall short. Your own shortness. Our song of invitation is to encourage you to think about just that. Maybe for you it's a prayer of thanksgiving. A prayer of confession. God, I know I'm short. And I know that through Jesus, you see me as clean and whole. And maybe if that's a special request you'd like to share with the whole church, you can come forward and one of our elders will take that confession and and share with all of us. Or if today you want to name the name of Jesus to let this salvation have an impact that you have fallen short of the glory. Let Him wash you clean in baptism and make you that new creation that the Bible talks about. This song is for you. Won't you come as we stand and sing?